Thank you, and good day once again to students and teachers of the Word of God. Our lesson this week belongs to that class of theology which we call demonology, and deals, uh, first of all, with uh, Satan, then the matter of devils or demons, and finally with uh, the devil's attacks against the Word of God and against the Christian. Now, these lessons here will probably receive a great deal of opposition in one way or another. I don't know to what extent they'll be opposed. But as soon as you begin to talk about the invisible realm of Satan and the works of spiritual principalities and powers, something always goes wrong with the tape recorder or with the microphone or with the radio station or with the voice or something. So you may expect the next few broadcasts, I suppose, a good bit of confusion, both inwardly and outwardly from these broadcasts. I don't know exactly what nature it will be. We've had everything from uh, static interference to, na to radio station being hit by lightning and burning to the ground. And all I can tell you about the matter is that uh, the invisible force of this world do not wish to be exposed, they do not wish to be identified, and as long as scientists and educators teach the physical sciences and teach the Communist Party uh, Marxian line of uh, meaningful relationships where nothing is meaningful unless you can demonstrate it, then of course uh, the devil is safe in detection. When you begin to talk about these things in the visible world, you uh, arouse the uh, disturbance of the electronic field and force field that lie under the atomic structure. And so you have trouble usually. Now the Christian life is a battle against Satan called the devil. He's called the devil and he's called Satan. We'll talk more about his titles later. By virtue of the fall of man, man became the devil's possession, his pawn. And the devil is called the god of this world who operates this world. And the Lord Jesus Christ makes it very clear in Luke chapter 4 but although he would not accept the kingdoms of this world as a bribe for worshiping the devil, that until the second advent, the kingdoms of this world belong to Satan. We all share the same fate. Uh, those of us who are saved, if that meant for the grace of God, we'd have wound up in hell. When we receive the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, this relationship to Satan is broken, but Satan does not give up. He fights on or against us. And one may say, although the relationship with the devil is broken up, it's all embedded fiercely in another direction. I heard a man, an old-time preacher, put it one time very clearly. He said this. And many times the older uneducated preachers that believed the Word of God had a much clearer way of stating a thing and a much more accurate way of defining it than our new educated breed has. Not always, but occasionally. And he said this. He said to a certain soul winner who was having a great deal of trouble with his family and his boss and his health and this and that, he said, well, he said, uh, you've been leading people to Christ, haven't you? And the soul winner said, yes, he had. And the preacher said, well, let me tell you, ask you something. He said, if somebody stole in your house at night and stole one of your children from you and escaped with them and took them off, would you be favorably disposed toward him? And the young man said, no. And the preacher said, well, how do you think the devil feels when you kidnap his children? Now, there's more truth and fiction in that statement, I'll tell you. And when you lead people to Jesus Christ, you take them from their father. Christ said, you of your father, the devil, unless of your father, he will do. He is a liar from the beginning. Now, you take that child from that father and give him to another father, you've got trouble. The Bible tells us to resist Satan, to fight him, and to give him no place in our lives. The Bible says, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. The Bible said, stand fast, stand, having done all, stand. All right, now, about the origin of this being, of course, he's not recognized by modern science. Uh, the Hollywood recognized him. They had the lead villain in each play, which typifies the devil, the lead hero, which pictures Christ, and the heroine, which pictures the church, so forth and so on. There are no original plots on movie or television. 
But the devil is not recognized as a personal person to be dealt with and handled by science and art, music, and culture, except by rare individuals at rare times. And then he's usually caricatured to be somewhat a kind of a boogeyman. Contrary to popular legend and myth, the devil is far smarter than any body of scientists that ever assembled on this earth to discuss anything. In the Bible is revealed as an angel of light, wiser than Daniel, and having had 6,000 years of experience in dealing with men, there isn't any place where he has to bribe a man like Goethe's spouse to trade his soul in for a few days of pleasure. All the devil has to do to you is come up alongside you and say everybody else does it. Or we always have done it. Or, but it feels good. Or, you got to get married. Or, you got to make a living. Or, it depends how you look at it. Don't you know the devil isn't wise as a serpent? He's an old serpent himself. He knows all the answers. He had no trouble getting Noah to get drunk. He won't have any trouble with you. He had no trouble getting Simon Peter to curse. You won't give him a hard time. He had no trouble taking a man after God's own heart and getting him to commit adultery and murder. He'll finish you off. The devil is a force to be reckoned with and a satanic force that is brilliantly intellectual, rational, scientific, and persuasive. He is a created being according to Colossians 1.16, and the time is unknown. But since he's called the anointed cherub that covereth in Ezekiel 28, verse 12 and 19, he is obviously created at some time before Genesis 1.1. Sometime before time, per se, or proper takes place at the creation, Satan is created as a anointed cherub that covers, and he is given a place over the throne of God. In Ezekiel 28, we learn the following things about his person. He is described as full of wisdom and beauty, verse 12. He is covered with precious stones like the high priest's breastplate, verse 13. He was an anointed cherub, never an angel, Angels are never cherub. Cherubs are never angels. Angels don't have wings. Cherubim do. Angels are loose in the throne. Cherubim are not. He was the anointed cherub. He was the fifth cherub who covered the throne. Verse 17, his heart was lifted up because of his beauty and wisdom. Verse 15, he was created perfect and remained perfect till sin entered into him. 16, sin and iniquity were first discovered in Satan. And verse 16 and 18, Satan was cast out of the third heaven in the sense that he no longer had access to it in his dealings. In his original position, he is described Lucifer, Isaiah 14:12, the son of the morning, Isaiah 14:12. His pride led him to be like the Most High God, that is, the exact temptation that he gave Eve, or the National Education Association, verse 13 and 14. His destiny is mentioned as being held down to the sides of the pit, verse 15. He now has access to the first heaven on this earth in his sphere of dominion, and he has access to accuse the brethren before the throne. His power will continue until Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. In the original position, the devil is pictured as a calf, or an ox, a winged ox, and yet representing the reptilian class. Now, in dealing with this advanced revelation of the noted cherub, one must Never forget that the modern writers in demonology and angels have corrected the King James Bible anywhere from twenty to 30,000 places, and therefore they can no longer find any revelation in it beyond 1909. 1909 marks the end of Bible teaching 
in every major fundamental school in America, and beyond 1909, they know absolutely nothing. They end with the Schofield reference notes. Now going beyond, observe. There are four cherubims present now. Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel 10, Revelation 4. The four cherubims represent the human class, the man, the flying class, the eagle, the tame class, the ox, and the wild class, the lion. Ezekiel 10, Ezekiel 1, Revelation 4. One class is missing. The class that is missing is the amphibian or reptilian class. The ones that had to stay in the water during the flood. Their representative then was a fifth cherub who has been dethroned. He's no longer over the throne. And that is why the reptile is still said to eat dust in the millennium. Did you notice that in Isaiah 65? That the curse upon the serpent is not lifted in the millennium, although the curse and everything else is? Did you notice that? Well, the faculty members of the last 35,000 schools didn't notice it. Now, that reptilian class was represented by a cherubim who had horns. If he had horns and feet like a calf's feet, a split hoof, and represented the reptilian class, he must have been a strange thing to look at. For he had to have horns, wings, and the body of a serpent. There are horned serpents, serpents with horns on them, like the asp and some of the vipers. This creature then would look like the medical insignia for the Health Education Welfare Department. Or put upon a pole, he would match the medical corps insignia of the Army, Navy, and Marine Corps. And this is the insignia seen on the uniform of the UFO occupants in Pascagoula, Mississippi, by two eyewitnesses. Now that's something to think about, isn't it? You won't find that many bodies booking angels now, will you? Hmm? When he fell, he was deposed from over the throne, and hence there is no rep representative of the reptilian class in heaven. As the fifth cherub, he was given the power of death, five letters, because he was the devil, five letters, called Satan, five letters, therefore five, has never been the number of grace, and never will be the number of grace, as long as the world lives, five is the number of death. The only time it ever touched grace was in the death of Christ, and that was death too, with five pieces of clothing and five wounds. Satan's personality. Many today do not believe in a personal devil, recognizing only the evil tendencies of the flesh or vices as human weaknesses. But Jesus in John 8, 44 said, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. Well, he must be a person to be a father. Some noted intro said to an old time saint one time, I don't believe in all that stuff about the devil. I don't believe there's any devil around. And she said, Well, if there ain't no devil, I'd sure like to know who does all his work. In Job 1, Satan talks to God, accusing Job of, of evil. Why, you don't have any evil influence that has contact with the third heaven and accuses you to God. That's a person. In the temptation of Christ in Matthew 4, Jesus wasn't dealing with his subconscious or his conscious, like these ridiculous psychologists and modernists in the National Council think. Well, these idiots, they've been in their mind so long and then sucks in your mind, think it's so much in your mind, your mind, your mind, your mind. 
Go to mind your own business, quit messing with their mind, learn how to mind God. You think Jesus is having a conversation with his libido or his ego or his id in Matthew 4? Why, he was talking with a devil, a real enemy, a real person. Satan is a person possessing life, intelligence, willpower, and feelings. And one day on this earth he'll be a man. Notice carefully I made a distinction between person and man. A person is a free moral agent that has will, emotions, feelings, and is capable of responding and acting. Volition. That doesn't mean necessarily a man. Angels are persons, but angels aren't flesh and blood men. Satan, however, is a spirit being in the sense of the person, does not possess a human body, at least not yet, but he'll have one in the tribulation. Now, speaking of Satan's character, first of all, the Bible says he's a thief. In Matthew 13, verse 19, we read, The devil steals the word of God from the hearts of hearers. Quote, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then cometh the wicked one and catches away that which was sown in his heart. That's the work of a thief. We read in the Bible, the devil is subtle, 2 Corinthians 11, 3. Satan beguiled Eve. We read, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. The Bible says he's a murderer, John 8, 44. The Bible says he's a liar, John 8, 44. The Bible says he's a deceiver, Revelation 12, 9. Where we read, Satan which deceiveth the whole world. Now, these aren't certainly very good qualifications for you living a moral life or a life pleasing to God. A subtle thief who deceives people and lies and murders is certainly the wrong father to have. You say, how do I get out of the family? You must be born again. You'll have to be born again in the right family. Nowhere does the Bible ever indicate that fixing up, renovating, altering, changing, renewing, dedication, committal will do anything for you. The first birth is wrong. You're born in the wrong family with the wrong father. You must be born again and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. And, of course, we talk about these things. We hear a great deal today about the new birth. Uh, all kinds of people professing the new birth these days, from the editor of Hustler magazine to the president of the United States. And as a consequence, there's a great deal of publicity given to it, which some of it is good, some of it's bad, most of it's bad. Along with this, we have uh, demon-possessed people in Hollywood putting out movies, making fun of God, and talking about the expression, oh, God, like it were something to be joked about. Let me tell you something. In an artillery combat, the last thing a man says before he dies is, oh. And the last thing he screams before he gets down to, oh, is, oh, God. And the last thing he screams for, he says, oh, God, is, oh, my God. And if he has no God, he screams for his mother. Did you know that? You're not going to learn that in high school or college, so I thought I'd give it to you over this radio station. There's going to come a time in your life when, oh, God, will be the most important two words in your life you'll ever say. Did you know that? You believe that? You want to watch the Lord prove what I said was so? Now listen, friend. I assure some of you people don't have the brains that God gave a brass monkey when it comes to the wholeness of God and the justice of God and the power of God and the omnipotence of God. There's going to be a day when your car be skidding down the ice heading for that culvert and you're going to say, Oh, God. There's going to be a day when that plane starts down, giving a mayday call with the engines on fire, and that pilot telling you to fasten your seatbelt, put that pillow in your lap, and bend forward, 
and you're going to sing a different tune then. Don't you tell me that an atheist can be pushed out of a plane at 5,000 feet without a chute and not say, oh, God, on the way down. Don't kid me, boy. <laughs> you contact some of these little brownies and girl scouts haven't been around, okay? All this business. You're going to joke about those things and joke about the new birth, you're in trouble. The new birth is the means of getting you out of the right family or out of the wrong family and getting you into the right family. You must be born again. Have you ever been born again? Somebody said, well, I heard a fellow say it didn't mean it. That doesn't mean that you can't, don't have to be born again. You have to be born again whether he meant it or not. All right, Satan is called an angel of light in 2 Corinthians 2.13. He's called a roaring lion in 1 Peter 5.8. He is the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2.2, the power of darkness, Colossians 1.13. He is the great dragon, the serpent, the devil, and is described in detail in Job chapter 41. The Silly Schofield reference note in either Silly Schofield Bible says the Leviathan in Job chapter 41 is a crocodile or a hippopotamus. Nothing would be any more foolish or supercilious than that. He's called the Prince of this World, John 14:30. He's called the God of this World, 2 Corinthians 4:4. 4, 4. He has control of the earth and hell and the bottomless pit, and this being is a perfect imitation of Jesus Christ. He has the apostolic charismatic signs. He has the gift of healing, Revelation 16, 13 and 16. He's able to talk in tongues, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And he has apostles who counterfeit the apostolic sign, the book of Acts, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 10 to 13. The devil is called a god of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, to counterfeit God. He's called the prince of this world, or the prince of the power there, to counterfeit Jesus Christ, the prince of peace. He's called a lion to counterfeit Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's called a serpent to counterfeit Christ, the serpent of brass. He's called an angel of light to counterfeit the angel of the Lord. He is the perfect imitation Christ. He's just not the Lord's Christ. He blinds the minds of men, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, accuses the brethren, Revelation 12, 10, tests the Christians, Luke 22, 31, destroys the lives of men, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5. He is here to sow tares and false doctrine, Matthew 13, 25. And the first words he ever spoke in the Bible questioned what God said. The devil is not interested in the backslidden fundamentalist who thinks the argument is still over the plenary verbal inspiration of the unknown originals. What the devil is doing today is questioning what God has said that you either have or you don't have. That's his business. Some of the most powerful tools in the ministry are faculty members of conservative schools who question what God said from morning to night. The devil has subordinates. He has angels, evil spirits, unclean spirits, and devils. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. He has principalities, powers, world rulers, and spiritual hosts. Ephesians 6, verse 12. He has sinners who will do his will, John 8, 44. And he has good, godly, dedicated men who will speak for him. Matthew 16, verse 22 to 23. Peter was a good, godly, dedicated, fundamentalist, conservative who loved the Lord, and he spoke up and took Satan's position, which, of course, many Bible scholars do these days. Satan's destiny is he'll be cast out of heaven, Revelation 12, 7, but he still has access to heaven today, Revelation 12, 12. He'll be chained later on to the bottomless pit by an angel, Revelation 20. He'll come out at the end of the millennium to gather a final rebellion together against God, Revelation 20, verse 3. 
he'll be defeated and cast in the lake of fire forever. Revelation 20, verse 7 to 10. This terrifying creature is pictured as a great red dragon. Unknown to scientists, unseen by scientists, undetected by scientists, his work is up and down to the great deeps, the universe, which he calls the full after him like a pot or like a milky way. He will become incarnate in this earth for three and a half years, the man of sin, and then he will go to Jerusalem and sit down on the throne as the anointed chariot that covereth, and then he'll be the son of perdition, the devil incarnate, Satan manifest in the flesh. This being lost his first position, being put out of the third heaven of the second heaven in Genesis 1-2, he was put out of the second heaven in the first heaven in the time of Christ, when Christ said, I beheld Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He was cast out of the first heaven down to this earth in the tribulation when he comes down to be uh, the man of sin, the Antichrist. He was cast in this earth down to the bottomless pit in Revelation chapter 20 when he is taken by a great chain and chained up for a thousand years. He will be cast in the bottomless pit down the lake of fire in Revelation chapter 20 at the great white throne judgment. This fifth cherub, whose letter is five, whose number is five, whose name is five, whose power is five and has the power of death, is cast down five times. Once, the third to the second heaven. Twice, second heaven to the first heaven. Three times, first heaven to the earth. Four times, earth to the bottomless pit. Five times, bottomless pit down the lake of fire. In his present state, he appears manifest as an angel of light, a perfect counterfeit of Jesus Christ, with all the charismatic signs of tongues and healing to deceive the unwary who have not learned how to prove things by the Word of God and have taken so many translations they no longer have the Word of God or can find out what it is. When this fearful being comes down to this earth, we read, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing he hath but a short time. In our age now, we're told we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're told to resist the devil, to stand fast in the Lord, to be strong in the Lord, and the power of his might. Nowhere in the Bible is it ever intimated we can withstand the devil in our own power. Nowhere is ever suggested in the Word of God that we have power to ridicule the devil or take him on single-handed. There isn't any way in the world to do it. He's called the God of this world. He's run this world for centuries, and he'll run it till Jesus Christ comes back, and the kings of this world become the kings of our Lord and his Christ, when Christ shall reign forever and ever. As he tested Job, he'll test Christians today. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. So this fearful, awesome being who goes back to the days before time started in Genesis 1-1, has power to take the lives of men, power to take their property, power to smite them with diseases, and then power to counterfeit healers and fake healing. This being has power to counterfeit life, although he cannot produce the original creation. And when Pharaoh was told, his servants were told to counterfeit the dust turning into lice, they couldn't counterfeit it, because that is the counterfeit of the original creation, where God made the animals out of the dust of the ground. However, when going to an apostate fundamentalist school today where you're told the devil cannot create life or produce life, you will be lied to like a Persian rug. The only life the devil cannot produce is the original act of creation. He will not only create life, but he will give birth to an antichrist, Genesis 3:15, and give life to an image, Revelation chapter 13, 12 to 16. Always remember the King James Bible is more authoritative than Christian education. Always remember the King James Bible is more authoritative than Christian scholarship, 
And above all, remember the King James Bible is always far ahead of any group of scientists, living or dead, on this country or any other country anywhere in the world. This fearsome being who can manipulate men and get power to ruin them asked for Job's family and then for his health, and if he'd been granted a third permission, he would have asked for his life. The devil is no joke. There is alive in this universe somebody who could get permission tonight to put you in a wheelchair the rest of your life, kill your family and burn down your house, and send you to hell. He'd do it, never bother to give you the time of day. If the Bible is right, there is actively working and controlling the United Nations, UNESCO, both houses of Congress, the Senate, and every major governmental agency in the world, a supreme ruler who is not the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, but is the God of this world, and is out to amalgamate this entire world and synthesize it into one integrated, mongolized, automated, passive mass to make them take a mark and make them starve to death if they don't take his mark and worship him as God. You say, where do you get that from? Why, that's easy. Zephaniah chapter 2, Matthew chapter 13, and Revelation chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. That am the handwriting on the wall, and he will surely accomplish his purpose. And the only person strong enough and powerful enough to stop him is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why we're told to stand fast in the Lord and be strong in the power of his might and put no comfort in the flesh, but rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan is mighty, but God is almighty. Satan was defeated spiritually at Calvary. He will be defeated physically at the Battle of Armageddon. Therefore, the lesson of the Christian is obvious. He is to constantly claim victory over Satan through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when attacked by this fearsome and awesome being, he is to plead the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, find shelter in the blood of Jesus Christ, and remember the blood of Jesus Christ works on an atomic level below protons and neutrons that can be applied and contact things unknown to any scientist anywhere in the world, living or dead, on any continent. After all, if the blood of Christ can purge our conscience from dead works to serve the living God, and can purge us from our sins, which are not physical things, it can be used by the Christian in handling his warfare against Satan. And include our broadcast, maybe give you the admonition of Paul the Apostle, who said, Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And having done all, stand. Stand therefore, having loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Take in the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you.